It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, November 13th, 2023. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. For the second time, the city of Sitka has denied a citizen's petition to put cruise limitations out to voters in a special election this winter. Organizer Larry Edwards received notice from the city on November 9th that a petition he sponsored with more than 40 other Sitkins was rejected. An opinion from municipal attorney Brian Hansen said the new petition would be legally unenforceable due to provisions that were confusing, misleading, and incomplete. This is Edwards' second attempt to get a cruise limit ballot question off the ground. The first was denied by City Hall in September. While there were some small differences in the two proposals, both sought to limit next year's cruise visitors to 240,000 with weekly and daily limits and would have required cruise ships to secure permits with the city. In a statement, Larry Edwards wrote that the decision to dismiss the application was, quote, a naked political decision, contrary to the principles of our democracy and citizen use of the initiative process, and the city was grasping at straws to stop a public vote. The push to limit cruise visitors in Sitka follows two summers of record-breaking traffic. This summer, over 560,000 people visited the community by cruise ship, more than double any other year in Sitka's history prior to 2022. You can read the city's full response as well as petition organizer Larry Edwards' statement on our website at kcaw.org. While the question of whether to limit cruise visitors next summer won't go out to voters this time, the owner of Sitka's private cruise terminal is planning to set some limits himself. On Thursday, Sitka Dock Company owner Chris McGraw announced that he is developing a berthing plan that would cut back on cruise traffic, limiting the size and number of ships allowed to berth each day at the Sitka Sound Cruise Terminal. The plan will also include daily passenger caps, arrival staggering, and more infrastructure at the dock to help with passenger dispersal. In an interview with KCAW, McGraw said he hoped to strike a balance when landing on a number that works for Sitka. Is if we look at, you know, a day where we had 10,000 passengers and it was way too, you know, that was too many, too, too much to handle, then we know, okay, that's too much. But then if you look at a day where, say, we had 6,500 and everybody was able to function fine with 6,500, I, I think you arrive at that number by kind of looking at, at how we did this summer and then knowing that we're going to be improving things as, the, you know, time goes on and development, developments uh, are completed. McGraw says he has a rough number in mind, but he's hoping to get more feedback from cruise operators, local authorities, and the community in developing the policy. It also means coordinating with ships that don't dock at the cruise terminal. You know, my, my number is going to have to be worked with with the city um, and then looking at tendering as well to kind of figure out what the town's number is. And then you know, we make sure that we accommodate the ships that are tendering as well and, and not Um, can kind of disregard those ships because that adds to the whole impact as well. With 2024's schedule set and tickets purchased, the ship limits and passenger caps McGraw ultimately lands on would go into effect in 2025. But he says he's been able to work with some of the cruise companies to stagger arrival times for next year. He says he's looking forward to input received during the upcoming Tourism Task Force town hall meetings. The city's Tourism Task Force will be meeting tonight at 6 p.m. at Harrigan Centennial Hall to discuss next steps in addressing cruise tourism 
tourism growth in Sitka. Six people have been charged in a Petersburg drug bust, and warrants have been issued for at least two more. KFSK's Hannah Floor reports. The arrests were made after a year-and-a-half-long investigation by the Regional Task Force Southeast Alaska Cities Against Drugs, or CCAD. In April of 2022, officers seized close to $200,000 worth of illegal drugs in Petersburg. All six suspects are Petersburg residents. Palmer Thomason Jr., Austin Strickland, and Edward Rayborn are being charged with multiple felony counts of trafficking fentanyl, heroin, methamphetamine, and cocaine. Amanda Laux is being charged with multiple felony counts of trafficking fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine. And Dazlin Friends and Gabe Volk are being charged with multiple felony counts of trafficking fentanyl, heroin, and methamphetamine. The six were indicted on October 26th by a grand jury in Juneau, according to a press release from the Juneau Police Department. All six suspects have pleaded not guilty on all counts. Public defenders for Laux, Strickland, Rayborn, and Friends could not be reached for comment. Volk's private attorney declined to comment, stating he does not know enough about the case yet. There are still outstanding warrants for two other people, Ariel Eiler and Christine Peeler. Petersburg Police Chief Jim Kerr declined to comment for this story, stating that the case is still active. Strickland has been released on bail in Juneau. Thomason, Laux, and Volk have been released on bail in Petersburg, and Friends and Rayborn remain in custody at the Petersburg Police Department. In Petersburg, I'm Hannah Floor. It started with a tweet asking when the world would get a collection of horror stories by Indigenous writers. Authors Ted Van Alst and Shane Hawk answered the call and soon found themselves with over a hundred submissions from new and established writers. Van Alst and Hawk are the Indigenous editors of Never Whistle at Night, published in September by Penguin Random House. KTOO's Yvonne Crumry spoke with them about the instability at the heart of the horror genre and how Indigenous authors have used that to tell their stories. I mean, at first it was merely a tweet and they basically said, hey, when are we going to get an Indigenous horror anthology? You know, it's time. And so we were just kind of going back and forth. Um, I think Ted came across it first and we're kind of like mulling it over, you know, who's going to step up and, you know, make this a cool new thing. I don't think either of us thought it was really going to be us at first. We're just kind of like looking around and just slowly but surely uh, it kind of came together by just asking other indigenous writers if they'd be interested in the idea behind the scenes and DMs and emails and just everyone kept saying yes. What does horror mean in the indigenous context? You know, I did an interview talking about horror and why horror and why, because I think because the foundations of horror are inherently unstable. And I think the lives of of folks post contact, if that's what we want to call it, have a lot of instability. There's a lot of, you know, on the other side of settling, there's a lot of unsettling and how people respond to that. So this sort of post-apocalypse that we're living in lends itself to those ideas and how do you express those and they're horrific right and but how do you deal with them do you deal with them in humorous ways do you deal with them in in really graphic ways and i think that this collection reflects a real broad spectrum of how folks deal with horror how folks project horror what that looks like the basis of horror is kind of like being able to peek in vicariously into this kind of safe playground of you know, okay, these people are going to be placed into an awful 
situation and we're going to see how it plays out. And um, speaking about the post-apocalyptic part, I think what's somewhat different about indigenous horror is that the people aren't necessarily placed into horrible situations. The horror is kind of already sinking in intergenerationally. I don't know. It's, it's been very interesting reading all these stories and seeing how we all, you know, in some ways we have shared histories, we have um, shared experiences, but then there's just a beautiful diversity to how we handle it. You can make something really beautiful that really um, engages with the reader, whether they're native or non-native. Can I ask a little bit about how the process of this anthology and gathering these stories happened? Were these all stories that were not published before this anthology? So they're all original. That was one of our major stipulations for our contracts that we sent out to people. There are 12 established names in here and 12 new voices. And then there's Ted and me. And so it was a nice, even uh, split between the two. It was very important for us. Our main mission was to increase, you know, the number of people writing Indigenous horror. And I think our open call kind of sparked that. It was July 27, 2021. And we gave people until November 1st, 2021. And basically, uh, it was just Ted and I sharing out the link on uh all the social platforms, you know, saying, hey, if you're an indigenous writer, maybe if you're not a writer and you want to try, send us your best story. And it was a really fun process, um, really hard to really break it down because we had to say no to so many terrific stories. That's why we're hoping that, you know, there's a volume two, volume three, volume 27, you know, keep it going forever. (laughs) (laughs) How many stories did you get from the open call? Uh, We got over 100, I think it's like 105 or so. Right on. Yeah. I mean, I even noticed that in the first ones I got to read. Yeah. The interesting blend of so many different ways to tell stories and ways to tell horror from more historical mid-19th century Alaska as it's being actively colonized by industries and then stories that Mm -hmm. are set now in modern Texas suburbia. And I'm wondering, like, what what themes did you not expect to see the rose out of these stories? There's everything, you know, haunted people, haunted houses. There's you know, monsters and monstrous people. And, and, you know, there are, there are themes and concepts throughout, but uh, I think it's important to remember it is, it's not an ethnography. It, it, you know, it says indigenous dark fiction. Thank you so much, you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your night. You too. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Yvonne. That was KTOO's Yvonne Crumry speaking with Shane Hawk and Ted Van Alst, editors of the new indigenous horror anthology, Never Whistle at Night. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News.